0: And now,
1: Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist Gary Machuda.
0: And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, and it's great to be with you today, rock and roll through the week, and uh, as we learn how to explain, defend the faith with clarity, charity, and confidence, got a great show in store for us, because we're going to have the blue-collar apologist himself, John Martinone. He's going to be joining us on the other side of the break And as you know, we've been going through his uh, remarkably successful, I think, uh, you know, definitely a book that you need to have in your war chest that is Blue Collar Apologist. It's put out by, uh, I think it's Sophia or uh, EWTN. You can definitely get from the EWTN catalog, uh, where John lays out his years of battle-tested wisdom in regards to how to approach apologetics, just from common sense, you know, and there's, like I said, so much practical wisdom in this book that it's definitely worth picking up, especially for those who maybe are just starting. Maybe you um, are new to explaining, defending the faith, or it might be a little intimidated. Uh, John Martinoni's book, Blue Collar Apologetics, um, will definitely take the fear factor out and show you how, you can just use some very simple uh, approaches to uh, apologetics dialogue and help people come closer to the fullness of truth. Today we're going to, we've been going through the book and today we're going to check out his section on purgatory. So we'll see how the blue collar apologist himself handles the issue of purgatory with non-Catholics. So as always, you know, it's always a ton of fun having, John Martinoni on the show and uh, having him in the dojo to give us uh, some lessons on apologetics. So that's coming up on the other side break. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, on this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. And I, I like to think of it as fun. At least it's uh, something that is, uh will make you uh, a better thinker and learn a little bit more about the early church. And that's two very good things with our Finding the Fallacy and the Meet the Early Church Father segment. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the Red Herring Fallacy. Red Herring, a fishy, fishy uh, fallacy indeed. And We're also going to meet the Early Church Father. Uh, Boy, this Early Church Father, unless you're into apologetics, probably you've never heard of this Early Church Father. It's Saint, it's not actually, he's not even a saint, it's Athenagoras of Athens. Athenagoras of Athens. So, we got our docket filled, we have the uh lights turned on in the dojo. So, let's welcome all of you to the show, beginning with our live stream audience and all of you listening on radio around the country. Welcome aboard, folks. Great to have you with us. Also, all of you peeps out there on podcast land, you know watching uh this or listening to us through uh all the various podcast outlets welcome aboard folks great to have you it's awesome being catholic because we have brothers and sisters all around the globe and it's just really cool that we're able to share and fortify each other in this way so uh you know it's great to have everybody on board um by the way if you'd like to contact me, the official dojo mailbox is questions at handsonapologetics.com. That comes directly to me, the sensei. And I do answer them. Not always very speedily, but I do answer them. And uh, I really appreciate uh, just checking up and seeing. I, I have some good questions thrown at me. Also had a couple of suggestions for future guests. So that's also very helpful. Because, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. I I can't surf the web and, uh, you know, check out every single platform that's out there. There's just too many. So I'm relying on you, the audience. If you're out there on social media, surfing or going TikTok or Discord or Facebook, whatever, and you run across somebody who you think is doing a great job explaining defending the faith and you think would make a great guest. Love to have them on the show. Just uh, send me an email, give me their contact information and a link so that I can check out their stuff. And, you know, if they're dojo quality, I'll throw out an invite, and hopefully their schedule is square with our show because this is a live show. And, uh, you know, our time slot's not super convenient for a lot of people. So, unfortunately, there are a lot of guests that i love to have on and have tried to get on the show, but unfortunately, usually their teachers uh, or their um, you know their schedules just can't square with uh, our live programs. So, and we don't record programs outside of the best ofs, which we'll throw on if there's a holiday or or somebody has to uh, have some assignment that they won't be able to be live. So, uh, you know, that's one of those proverbial monkey wrenches. But nevertheless, you know. Let me know, and I'll see what I can do. We've already had several uh, audience-suggested guests, and they've, they've been awesome. In fact, I've been trying to get them to be regulars on the show. So keep the suggestions coming, folks. I appreciate it. All right. Let's go to our Finding the Fallacy segment, which today is the Fallacy of the Red Herring. A red herring is a logical fallacy in which irrelevant information is presented alongside relevant information, distracting attention from the relevant information. This may be done intentionally or unintentionally. The red herring is often used in movies, television, and literature. In fact, the red herring is a lot like a non sequitur in that it it doesn't follow from what you're talking about. However, with the red herring, it is a particular stinky kind of fish that can throw you off the scent or the trail of something. And we encounter this a lot in Catholic apologetics and Christian apologetics because as you're pursuing a line of argument or a line of thought or a line of investigation, and someone becomes uncomfortable in how the direction of the conversation is going. What they might do is throw out a red herring, which is very attractive, and but on a different topic, in hopes that you'll beginning you will follow that more attractive uh, uh, topic that's off, kind of offline, and uh, stop pursuing your current line of thought. And like I said, it happens all sorts of t- times. If you're talking to a non-Catholic. Let's say I'm purgatory, like we're going to talk with John Martinoni about. And right in the middle of the discussion, all of a sudden they they throw out the red herring. Well, you popes, uh, you have popes that were evil. Or, uh, you know, the Crusades was a a way to forcibly convert Muslims or something like that. Um, You know, something particularly stinky or, you know, maybe even a personal attack like an ad hominem argument is thrown out. Well, you're just saying this because you're Catholic and you're rude or something like that. Those are attractive subjects that an apologist would, you know, that's red meat for us apologists, right, to go after. But they're not on topic because you're talking about purgatory. You're not talking about bad popes. You're not talking about crusades. You're not talking about, you know, uh, whether you're of a good personal character. What you're talking about is is purgatory. So don't fall for the red herring. You know, you can always just... Probably the best tactic to do is to table it. In other words, say, you know what? That is a really good topic. Bad popes love to talk to you about it. Why don't we talk about it after we're done talking about purgatory? And then refocus. Right? Go right back. So let me repeat what I just asked about purgatory. Um, That's what you can do. If it's a ad hominem attack, you can you can just say, well, even if that's true, even if I am a rude person, nevertheless. What about this aspect about purgatory? So you want to f- absorb, refocus, and attack. And that's our finding of the fallacy for today, the red herring fallacy. All right, let's meet our early church father for today, who is Athenagoras of Athens. Uh, great name for someone who lives in Athens. Uh, nothing at all. Is known of Athergoras, except for what little can be gleaned from his own writings. How many times have we heard Jurgen's Faith of the Fathers say that about a particular early church father? Uh, uh, For in all ancient literature, he is mentioned only once, Methodius of Olympus, known as Methodius of Philippi, Methodius of Tyre, uh, having taken passing note of him in his treatise on the resurrection. Athenagoras was a Christian philosopher of Athens. If we can trust the manuscript title of his supplication for Christians, he was a contemporary of Justin and Tatian. So this would put him in the second century, second Christian century. Um, In rhetorical ability, far exceeds Justin Martyr, writing in very attractive Greek, whereas Tatian was given to polemical contentiousness. Athenagoras knows better than to antagonize with insults those that he hopes to influence. Of the time of his birth and how long he lived, we have not an inkling. And of his death, not the manner, but also that it probably took place soon after. The only writing we have from him, which is the supplications of Christians, which would put it sometimes sometime after 177. Uh, Athanasius's Supplication for Christians was written between 176, 180 AD, probably 177. It is an appeal for understanding uh, addressed to the Emperor Marcus Aurelius and to his son, the Emperor Commodius. He uh, had been given a, the imperial title in 176 AD. The work refutes the accusations made by pagans against Christians of atheism cannibalism and incest and ends in a calm entreaty for just judgment unlike that of Tatian uh, Athenagoras pen provides light without heat and that is our early church father for today Athenagoras of Athens coming up next the blue collar apologist himself John Morinoni is going to be joining us when talk about purgatory stay tuned Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, in Hands-On Apologetics. And we're going to be talking about purgatory from the perspective of a blue-collar apologist. And, of course, that is none other than John Martinoni. And uh, as you know, John Martinoni is born Catholic. He eventually... uh, was kind of left his faith until uh, he uh, rediscovered it. He received a, a B.S. in finance and an M.B.A. from the University of Alabama. He's best known as the host of E.W. 10 Open Line. He's also the director of the Office of New Evangelization in the Diocese of Birmingham and the president of the Bible Christian Society which, by the way, if you haven't visited the website, you definitely need to check it out. It's BibleChristianSociety.com. And today we're going to be talking about his book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. And John Martinoni, welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. uh, Let's see, Richard, I can't hear him for some reason you hear me now? Ah, I can hear you now. Okay. How you doing, John? As I
1: said, it's good to be with you as always.
0: Yes. Isn't that what St. Peter said uh, when Christ appeared with Elijah and Moses on Mount of Transfiguration?
1: It's something along those lines, yes. It's good that we are here, Lord.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's why you're the president of the Bible Christian Society, because you're quoting scripture without even knowing it.
1: That's right. That's right. It it's just second nature to me, Gary. I I've i <laughs> almost I've got like ninety five percent memorized. I'm working on that last five percent. And hey, if you do that, then yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh so how have you been? What have you been up to?
1: Oh, just uh you know, continu same old, same old, uh yeah. uh giving talks. I've actually been hired at a local parish to do their R C I A program for them. And uh, so it, I did it last year, and they they thought I did a good enough job. They're hiring me again for this year. So nice. so that's about to start, so I'm looking forward to that. And, and you know, occasionally t- traveling, giving talks, and uh, uh, doing radio like yours, and Johnette Bankovic's show, well, Johnette Bankovic Williams now, and, uh, you know, just staying busy with stuff at the diocese and, you know, all good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. You know, after COVID, uh, that really hit uh, conferences and talks for a lot of people, especially people like you who, you know, uh, you're always doing talks and conferences. Is it starting to loosen up now? Are there more talks and more conferences available, or is it still Uh, under average?
1: From what I can tell, yes. And I had actually kind of started winding down because, uh, yeah, I just travel is not enjoyable to me. I mean, giving the, getting to the place and meeting the people and giving the talks, love that. But getting there and getting back, don't like that at all. Um, so I had kind of started winding down and, and, you know, it did for basically a year and a half, almost nothing. Well, pretty much nothing. But then uh, starting f- uh, spring of last year, it, you know, I get one here, get one there, and then, I've, you know, I've already got something lined up for uh, the fall and then into 2023. And I'm, and, and I'm, you know, as someone who also sponsors conferences and brings speakers in as well as giving talks, mm-hmm. I'm bringing more people in and doing more things. And it's being driven by the fact that, you know, I, I tried to do something last year. And I could definitely see the COVID effect when I tried to arrange a a luncheon with a speaker. Instead of having my normal 140, 150 people, well, I'm getting 70 to 80 people. It's like, okay, there's still some things out there that need to – but now we're seeing more and more that people are are more willing to come to uh, an event where people aren't socially distanced or everybody's masked. And so I think it's – I won't say back to normal, but almost back to normal in that regard.
0: Yeah, good. Well, that's good news because uh, uh, you know a lot of people, uh, especially those who defend the faith and do evangelism. I mean, their bread and butter is public talks and seminars and stuff. And I know that hurt a lot of people with the COVID. And uh, yeah, so it's just there's good a day.
1: lot of people whose schedules would would kill me, and and they're the ones that were hurt the I mean, they're they're yeah. in two or three different places a week. And they depend on speaking engagements almost exclusively for their income. And and some of those people were hurt hurt pretty good. But uh, I I think they've managed through it and and starting to see things bounce back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. I mean, it was pretty bad at one point. I mean, even Steve Ray had to stay in country for a year. Yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty big for him. So, uh, yeah. So let's talk about your book. Blue Collar Apologetics, maybe if you could just give us, you know, a, a real short summary of, of what you put into the book, and then we could dive into Purgatory.
1: Well, the book is basically, um, as as I was giving talks, in public talks starting 20-plus years ago, uh, you know, I'd give a talk on Purgatory, a talk on Mary, a talk on the Pope, a talk on uh, Sola Scriptura, etc., and I, after giving a dozen or so different talks I real, over a couple years, I realized, I said, you know, there's some common threads weaving through these talks about not just, okay, here's the scripture verses you use, but here's how you present these things to someone who is questioning or attacking the Catholic faith. So I have these four apologetic strategies that I use that, that weave their way through every chapter of the book. And if you use these strategies and make them your own. And and they're, they're mostly common sense and, and simple logic. There's some Bible, but th- there's nothing biblically oriented in these strategies that is beyond the reach of anyone who is listening to your program right now. You don't have to be a theologian or PhD in theology to do this stuff. So um, that's what, you know, I put those into the book, and then each chapter in the book on a different topic, like I said, the Pope, Mary, Purgatory, the, the main questions that Catholics get from non-Catholics, and then the the Protestant doctrines that Catholics have a real big problem with. Once saved, always saved, sola fide, sola scriptura, etc. And each chapter covers one of those topics. And then at the end of each chapter, I go over the four strategies and how they can be applied in regards to a question about that that particular topic and and so the whole book is just it's really taking what you read here and making that your own for your own particular situation with the particular people you're talking to it's not like you have to do it exactly this way it's just general strategies that teach you how to be prepared for when someone questions your faith or even attacks your faith
0: yeah yeah, and I think you know, uh, for anyone out there who would love to defend the faith but you're intimidated, your book makes apologetics easy. I mean, it really does boil down to some very commonsensical uh, uh, questions and approaches.
1: Yeah, and and I tell people, and I have people tell me that they, when they read the book, and particularly the certain strategies, it 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 not just helps them learning how to answer the question, but gives them the confidence that they can answer the questions, and to, the confidence to engage in these conversations and not run away from them. For example, the, the first strategy is the ignorant Catholic strategy, and all that involves is, hey, someone asked you look, about purgatory, which we're talking about today, and where in purgatory is the Bible, the Baptist asked the Catholic. The Catholics, gee, I, I got to be honest with you, I have no idea, but I tell you what, I'm going to go look it up. I'll, I'll look up an answer. I'll find out about it, and I'll get back to you on that. Boom, you're out of any jam you could possibly get into You know, by just admitting I'm ignorant on this topic. Let me go do a little research. I'll get back to you, and then you go do the research, which is easily available online or in books like mine, and um, you get back to them. And that one thing allows people to engage with anybody, anytime.
0: Yeah. It's a get out of jail free card. Kind of, you can throw it down whenever you don't know the answer. And, uh, and it also, uh, you know, it kind of opens up the dialogue shows that you, you care about what the person says and, and you want to make sure he gets the the straight scoop. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, purgatory, I guess probably the first place to go is let's define what exactly is purgatory.
1: That's yeah, a lot of a lot of non-Catholics and maybe and even some Catholics I would suspect, although I haven't run into too many, believe that purgatory is kind of uh like well, like what you just a get out of jail, <laughs> get free, out of jail card. free card. <laughs> yeah, you know, it it's because hey, I didn't do well enough in my lifetime here on earth. I wasn't saved, but I die and I go to purgatory and I get to be saved from purgatory. No. Uh, Purgatory has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. If you get to purgatory, it means you have died in a state of grace, but you are not yet perfected in order to get into heaven. The, you, in heaven, everyone's perfect. You know. And in Scripture, God says, you know, or, or Jesus says, "'Be ye perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect.'" So we need to be perfect to get into heaven. So if we die and we still have a stain of sin or desire for sin on our souls, and we still maybe have some, some venial sins, some minor sins on our souls, or we still some punishment due to sins we have committed in our lifetime, well, we go to purgatory to be purged of our imperfections, to be purged of our attachment to sin, before we get into heaven, uh, an analogy I've heard is, you know, if, if you're going to a house, to someone's house, and you've got, you know, you just walk through some mud on the way to the front door, so you've got mud on your shoes, and the, the homeowner opens the door, and they've got this nice white carpet right there, you don't want to walk on that carpet with your muddy shoes. So, you know, you take your shoes off, or you clean your shoes up before you come into the house just so we have our soul cleaned up by the fires of purgatory, which is actually the, the love of God, and before we enter into heaven. So purgatory is not a second chance. It has nothing to do with deciding whether we're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. It's We're heading to heaven, but we need to be polished up a little bit. We need to be purged of our imperfections
0: yeah very good so it's uh it's not a second chance it's only for those who are righteous they're in a state of grace when Correct. they die and uh and it's it's simply the completion of the sanctification that occurs here on earth um it, boy uh I don't know if you can handle this we only have a less than a minute but why do Protestants object to that because that just seems like a very sane belief
1: two big objections first is, nowhere is the word purgatory in Scripture. And second is, well, if purgatory exists, then they, they, they come up with this idea that it somehow renders Jesus' death on the cross as being meaningless, because you're paying for your own sins by your suffering, in purgatory is what they think. They mistakenly think. And so... You know, we can get into both of those here after the break, but but those are the two main uh, objections Protestants have to purgatory.
0: Excellent. We're chatting with John Martinoni, blue-collar apologetics, and talking about purgatory. More to come right after this. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics.
1: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
0: And welcome back everybody we're chatting with the blue collar apologist himself John Martinoni talking about his book named the blue collar apologetics uh, It is how to explain and defend Catholic teaching using common sense simple logic and the Bible put out by EWTN. talking about purgatory and John you lay down really the the two biggest examples or objections against purgatory so why don't we address the first one you know sometimes protestants will say well the word purgatory isn't even in the bible so your church just concocted this whole idea of purification from sins after death
1: yeah and the the response to that is yes the word purgatory is not in the bible um, but may I ask you, Mr. Baptist, Evangelical, etc., can you tell me where the word Trinity is in the Bible? You know, and they won't be able to because the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, So you, but you believe in the Trinity. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you can, you can find the, the makings of it in the Bible. Oh, okay, well, you can find the makings of purgatory in the Bible. And then you can also ask them, say, where is the, uh, where, where is the phrase altar call? In Scripture? It's not in there. Where is the phrase, once saved, always saved? Not in there. Where is uh, the phrase, Wednesday night church meeting in the Bible? Not in there. So all these things that Protestants believe and practice are not necessarily mentioned directly in the Bible either. So that's a a specious argument, and it's one that if they try to stick to it, they're being hypocrites because, again, they believe in the trinity they believe in the incarnation you know god became a, nowhere does the word incarnation appear uh, so that's how you handle that the second one the second objection to purgatory about um uh, well before i go there did you have any follow-up on that it's your show after all
0: <laughs> no that, that's great and 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 uh, your response is perfect because it's a multitasker. Not only will it work for someone who says the word purgatory is not in the Bible, but they also say the word pope isn't in the Bible, right? And other Catholic things too. So it's always good to have, you know, uh, at least a set of things like a personal Lord and Savior. That's not in the Bible either.
1: No, no, yeah. Where where is accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, and you will be saved? Where's that formula in the Bible? It is not there at all. Or say a sinner's prayer. Not that, that wording is not in the Bible. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely right.
0: Yeah, good. So uh, so you cleared the, the, the ground, so now you can say, well, that leads to the next question, is whether you can prove from the Bible uh, that purgatory exists. That's a biblical teaching. But before we do that, we should probably address the second objection.
1: Yeah, the second objection is that, well, if purgatory exists and you go to purgatory to have your sins cleansed and your suffering is what cleanses your sins and that's what saves you, then Jesus' death on the cross is meaningless. Well, again, that's a complete misunderstanding of the doctrine of purgatory because you don't get saved in purgatory before you die or at the moment of your death. Your eternal destination is decided. You're either going to heaven or going to hell. If you're going to hell, there's nothing you can do about it after you die. If you're going to heaven, well, you're going to get there, but you may have to stop in purgatory to be purged of your imperfections. Uh, again, you know, it, it's, uh, Jesus says in Matthew, about Matthew 5:48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So they need to be perfect in heaven. And I always ask people, what I call my common sense teaching on purgatory, I'll ask a Protestant, I'll say, are are you perfect right now in every way? You you never do anything wrong. You never say anything wrong. You never think anything wrong. You always do what's right. You always think what's right. Are you perfect right now? And they always answer no. I mean, if anybody ever says yes, it's like, oh, well, then I don't need to talk to you. You're perfect. But they always say, no, I'm not perfect right now. Then I say, well, when you get into heaven, will you be perfect? Oh, absolutely. 100% of the time, yes, I will be perfect in heaven. So let's say you're imperfect now, uh, and let's say, God forbid, you should die at this very moment. You die imperfect. You enter heaven perfect something had to happen in between to have your imperfections purged from you so you call it whatever you want we call it purgatory you know yeah. and so that's how i tell them i said it doesn't it does not in any way shape or form take away from jesus's death on the cross in fact purgatory is useless without jesus's death on the cross no one could ever be saved without jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection so that's a complete that, – that objection is based on a complete misunderstanding of purgatory, again, as a, uh, a second chance. Well, I didn't get saved in this lifetime. Maybe I can get saved in the next. No, that's not what happens. Purgatory is not about salvation. It's about um, restoration to a full perfection in God. You know? So mm-hmm. that's how you answer that second objection.
0: Yeah, it, that, I think, is a really great way to put it, because if Jesus' death on the cross is insufficient, then no one would ever get to purgatory because no one would ever be saved, right? So, That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that I always, you know, with that in mind, it's hard to understand why it's such a big obstacle, though. Why uh, all the thunderbolts and, yeah, you know, that diatribes?
1: The, the ones who... Understand what purgatory is, and they get it right. Their main objection is, well, purgatory's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, and right. like, okay, it goes back fine. and forth. Let's go back there. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, um, so we're talking about sanctification, postmortem sanctification in purgatory, and you know what's curious, John, is that us growing in holiness in this life. You know, it's by Christ's grace. But we also have to cooperate, and that's something that I think Protestants also affirm as well. you know it's not yes,
1: Protestants believe in sanctification in increasing sanctification, and mm-hmm. I think it's uh what is it first corinthians four second Corinthians four maybe about um you know we are growing in holiness from one degree to another. Mm-hmm. well, if you can do that in this lifetime here it is, second Corinthians three. Uh, 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If it can happen in this lifetime, why can't it happen in the next lifetime? You know, it can, and it does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's even more uh, on Christ's side, because, well, here on earth, we have to cooperate with God's grace. But in purgatory, it's done to us. There is no cooperation.
1: Right. right. Yeah, and that's uh, – uh, you're, you're exactly right. It's more a doing of Jesus Christ than ours. We're, we're uh, I would say, maybe willing participants because we know this is a necessary process, but you're also in a way, I would assume, unwilling because it's, you're suffering in purgatory. It's not an, an, a joy ride. There is mm-hmm. – suffering in purgatory and so but it's christ through his the burning fires of his love cleansing the, the dross from us the, you know like like gold is purified through fire that's what's going on in purgatory the gold of our souls is being purified all the imperfections taken out by the fire of god's love
0: yeah, very good. So, I guess that what remains is: can we establish pur- purgatory in Scripture?
1: Yes, and it's actually relatively easy to do so. And I, I this is where one of the the principles that I teach, one of the strategies that I teach in my book, it's called it's the principle of the thing, where you establish Catholic biblical principles from Scripture, and then use those principles to explain a particular doctrine or dogma. For example, in regard to purgatory, biblical principle number one, there is punishment due to sin even after one has been forgiven. And we see this principle nowhere more um, elucidated or, or, in, or you know, highlighted, spotlighted, than in 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 to 18. The prophet Nathan comes to David, tells him a story, and David realizes that the prophet Nathan is actually talking about David and David's sins of uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then basically murder of Bathsheba's husband by allowing him, telling the troops to withdraw from Bathsheba's husband in battle so the enemy can kill him very easily. So he's an adulterer and a murderer. David says, after Nathan tells him a story, you know, I repent, you know, I I shouldn't have done these things, and he's sorry, and he repents. And Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. In other words, God has forgiven David, so everything's okay, right? It's all hunky-dory. Nothing else needs to be done. Not quite. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. So there is a price to pay for the sins even after the sins have been forgiven, so punishment due to sin even after the sin has been forgiven. Principle number one. Principle number two: nothing unclean, nothing with the stain of sin, will enter heaven, and, and that's straight out from Revelation 21:27. But nothing unclean shall enter the new Jerusalem, which is heaven. Principle number three: there's a way or a process. By which the spirits of the just, or the righteous, or those who've died in a state of grace, are, quote, made perfect, unquote. And that's from Hebrews 12, 22, 23. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to a judge who is God of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirit, Mm -hmm. not the bodies, the spirits of just men made perfect. And I hear the music. We'll continue with with another biblical principle and wrap it all up after this.
0: All right. We're chatting with John Martinoni, talking about his book, Blue Collar Apologetics, put out by EWTN. More to come right after this. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, at Hands-On Apologetics. We're chatting with John Martinoni, talking about his book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. Put out by EWTN and also Sophia Press. And uh, talking about purgatory. And right before the break, John, you laid down some biblical principles, such as uh, that there is uh, suffering for sin, even forgiven sin. And you went to Second Samuel, uh, that nothing unclean will enter heaven. You went to Revelation for that. And then you were talking about the, the process by which those who are just are perfected. And you went to Epistle of Hebrews for that.
1: Yep, and uh, and I really like the one from Hebrews, because it says, uh, by which the spirits of the just are made perfect. It's talking about the spirits being made perfect. So there must be a process by which the spirits are made perfect. So that's Mm. the third biblical principle, Catholic biblical principle, regard to purgatory. The fourth one that I throw out there is there is a place in the next life other than heaven or hell. And this is where most Protestants, again, since they don't believe in purgatory, say, no, 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 no. But I take in the first Corinthians chapter three, verses 13 to 15, which says, quote, each man's work will become manifest for the day, which is basically the day of your death, the day of your your individual judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation, Jesus Christ, survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, end quote. So I ask the Baptist, the, the evangelical, I say, okay, where is it that after you die, your works are tested – and if your works are so-so, you could suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved. Is it heaven? And they, well, no, it can't be heaven because you don't suffer loss in heaven. You know, it, it doesn't happen. You're there. You see the face of God. There is no suffering in heaven. Is it hell? Well, you suffer loss as through fire and hell, but you don't get out of hell, so you don't get saved. So it can't be hell. So there must be this other place, other than heaven or hell, where you can go after you die after you die, and have your works tested as through fire and possibly suffer loss as through fire. So you put all those biblical, Catholic biblical principles together. There's punishment due to sin even after one's been forgiven. Nothing with the stain of sin will enter heaven. There's a way or a process by which the spirits of the just are made perfect, and there is a place in the next life other than heaven or hell by which you can be have your works tested as through fire, yet still be saved. You put it all together, and I tell I tell them I say, look, you call that whatever you want. We Catholics call that purgatory, yeah. and there's not I I have never gotten any kind of cogent rational response to that argument, ever. And I've used it many, many, many times.
0: Yeah, I honestly, I was kind of racking my brains as you're going through it, trying to think of what would be a, an objection. But uh, that, I think, in and of itself is pretty solid. But, uh, you know, it's it's been my experience that a lot of non-Catholics, a lot of Protestants actually already kind of have a working understanding of purgatory. They just don't call it. Purgatory, you know, they'll say, "Well, uh, I'll be called before the judgment seat of of Christ, and He'll show me what I've done, and I'll feel bad for the things that I I did wrong, and and then He'll welcome me into heaven." And it's like, well, you know, that's a that's a kind of purgatorial process, right there. It's just not, you know, biblical uh, symbolism or anything. But
1: yes, it is, and and just like they have a, a. Actually, have an understanding of of the communion of saints and and prayer to the saints, even though they say, no, well, no, Jesus is the sole mediator. And I, I say, are, are someone close to you ever die? Well, yeah, my, you know, my dad died ten years ago. Or so, you ever visit his grave? Yeah. When you visit the grave, do you talk to your dad? Like, well, uh, yeah. What do you call that? You know, you're you're talking to the dead. Well, although, you know, they believe their dad's in heaven, you're you're actually talking to those who are not dead. They're alive, more alive in heaven than they are on earth. So it's the same thing. There's some, like you said, some um, inherent understanding that many Protestants have of purgatory, of the communion of saints, prayer to the saints, and other Catholic teachings. But they don't really think about it in the way that the Catholics present it. And so their initial reaction is negative, but if you can explain it to them and put it in language that connects with them, then and, and connect it to scripture, then then you can plant a, a lot of seeds. And I, every now and then you have somebody go, "Oh, okay, well that makes sense. I better understand that now." You know, and I mean, it's not going to happen often immediately, but you just want to plant the seeds, and and by using these principles you can do that every time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very good. You know, one proof text that you didn't use is 2nd Maccabees 12:46. It's a whole wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loose from their sins. How come you did how come you omitted that?
1: Well, I might use that every now and then, but only in very rare circumstances because the book of Maccabees, neither of the books of Maccabees, is in the Protestant Bible. And I always tell people, I say, look, I will play on your playing field. Hmm. So if I'm talking to Protestants, I use their Bible, the 66 book Bible. I don't use the seven books of the Old Testament that Catholics have that Protestants don't have. If I'm talking to uh, non Christians, I don't use the Bible at all. You know, if I'm talking to, again, talking to Protestants, I don't use the Catechism. Uh, I don't use uh, papal encyclicals because their playing field is their 66-book Bible. With non-Catholics, uh, I mean with non-Christians, the Bible is not a part of their playing field. So usually you're you're limited to common sense, simple logic, or with atheists using science, and science is on the side of the Christians. You know, a lot of people think, oh, the atheists have science. That's on theirs. No, no, not at all. In fact, atheists have more faith than most Christians do because they believe in things that there's absolutely no evidence for. You know, no one's ever seen, no one's ever demonstrated in an experiment that non-life comes from life, or that life comes from non-life. Nobody's ever seen that. No experiment has ever produced it, yet they believe it. So they have more faith than, than most Christians, because Christians at least have some evidence of the things they believe in. So,
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we can win away uh, games as well as home games.
1: Yes, we can, all the time. <laughs> and just, just keep your, your wits about you. Remember these, these biblical principles. Remember the strategies uh, that I have in there, and I also have things called Rules of Engagement in my book, where you know prayer is the most important thing and and you don 't have to know everything right now and don 't get angry and all these things, so you 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 make these these rules of engagement and these strategies in this book your own, and you are going to have a whole lot of fun evangelizing people
0: yeah, absolutely yeah and it 's a fun read too, so I highly recommend uh, blue Collar apologetics. Uh, We we have a couple of minutes left. Let me throw one last objection at you, and then we'll talk a little bit about Bible Christian Society. Um, People will say, well, you Catholics pray for the dead in purgatory, and that's necromancy. You know, you're trying to contact the dead, uh, which is condemned in Scripture.
1: Well, I would ask them, I'd say, well, did Jesus engage in necromancy at the transfiguration? you know, who's he talking to? Moses and Elijah. Uh, So, no, we have an example from our Lord himself that you can talk to the quote-unquote dead. Why? Because as he tells them, says elsewhere in the gospel, he says, they are not dead. They are living. They are in heaven. They are more alive in heaven than they are on earth. Necromancy, you're, you're, you know, you're talking to the dead using the power of Satan, in essence. It's something that's condemned, and and you're trying to gain favor for yourself, some advantage in this lifetime because of what the dead, you think the dead could do for you. And so it's completely different talking to those who are members of the body of christ in heaven versus those who are in the afterlife but they are not members of the body of christ so they are they are not part of those who are living the fullness of life in heaven with christ
0: yeah yeah very good all right yeah i want to talk a little bit about bible christian society and your newsletter too tell us a little bit about it
1: Well, I've got a newsletter. It's Apologetics for the Masses. I tell people, I said we've got some, I think, 420-some issues over the last 15 years or so. I average about one every two or three weeks, and uh, it comes straight to your inbox. All you have to do is go to BibleChristianCity.com to the newsletter page and put in your email address. I'm not going to send you fundraising emails all the time— Twice a year, I send out a fundraising email saying, hey, if you can spare 10 cents a day, I'd appreciate it. If not, I appreciate that, too. So, But in those newsletters, I answer people's questions about the faith. I have dialogues with Baptist ministers, evangelical ministers, Protestant apologists, nation, nationally known Protestant apologists, and I give their arguments, and I give my arguments, and then I give the strategy behind my arguments. Why did I say this? Why did I ask him this question and so forth and so on. And so I've got something like uh I think I'm up to around 53,000 subscribers now from all 50 states and about 80 countries that I know of. So wow. it's gone way beyond anything I ever imagined, but uh if you get in there and and all the past issues are, are there on the website so you can you know use the search engine pick out a topic like sola scriptura and go and read the the newsletters on sola scriptura or on the pope I, you know there's one where it's a debate on the was was peter the first pope and so forth and so on so uh, i get you know generally get good comments about it so people are enjoying it they keep signing up so as long as they do that i'll keep i'll keep putting them out there
0: yeah that's awesome and also biblechristiansociety.com uh, uh, you have a lot of free uh, downloads that you can do of your talks. Yeah,
1: and, and for those who still listen to CDs, still have CD players in their cars, I've got free CDs there, 28, 29 different topics, different talks, and those same talks are, are available for, as free downloads as well. So almost everything there is free except for the DVDs that I have to buy from EWTN of my Blue Collar Apologetic series. But go and check it out, com.
0: All right. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it.
1: Enjoyed it, Gary. Looking forward to the next
0: time. All right. That's John Martinoni, Blue Collar Apologetics. Check it out, folks. Man, it's already time for me to shut down the Midwest Command Center, turn off the dojo lights. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next, high impact assets. Talk coming at you with the Terry and Justin show. And we'll see each other tomorrow. Bye-bye.